Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs uh, and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show. Hello, my friends. Hello. Welcome to Monday. Um, a little bit of a, well, it's a little chilly out there. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly uh, what uh, what happened, but uh it got a little chilly overnight. Still not too bad. Still not too bad this morning. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's good stuff. And uh, I appreciate you guys coming in and being with us here for this Monday. I mean, I could have used I could have used another solid day of uh, I could have used another solid day of weekend. But maybe that's just maybe that's just my. Uh, um, uh, maybe that's just my, uh, uh, vacation, uh, deficit talking. I don't know. I don't know, but good morning and welcome to the program. It, uh, is, uh, we're ready to rock and roll for Monday. Uh, we have got a, uh, we have got a bunch of stuff, uh, going on this morning. We're going to be diving into this here. First things first, with uh, you and me just going over a few headlines that are happening uh, around the state of Alaska. Not nothing, nothing, you know, earth shattering. Uh, some things that uh, you may have expected. Oh, of course, unless you live in the Matsu, which we'll talk about here in just a hot second. Uh, but then, <clears throat> in hour one, we're going to be uh, jumping into it with Ben Carpenter. Ben is, uh, of course, the representative. Uh, for down on the peninsula there in the Dikiski area. And uh, we're going to talk with him about uh, the upcoming session, uh, which starts tomorrow. Uh, we're going to talk about the organization of the House. We'll talk about what he sees as the hot-button issues for this year. And uh, we're also going to be uh, maybe talking to him about the grand jury thing that's happening down there. I mean, there's a there's a whole thing. He originally broke that story here on the program, and uh, there's been uh, a bit of fervor going on over that uh, here uh, over the last, oh, I don't know, uh, a few weeks, I guess two months now uh, since that originally came out. And we're going to see if he's got an update for us on that as well. We'll see what happens there. Uh, and then in hour two, we're going to be joined uh, by uh, the one of the head education researchers over there at the uh, Alaska Policy Forum, Sarah Montalbano, who's going to come on board and talk with us about uh, <clears throat> education in the state of Alaska. She's the one that's been hitting us with a lot of these educational facts lately, um, which, uh, you know, I mean, that's I think that's what we need in this discussion. 
more than the emotion of people, uh, you know, who come in and just say, we just don't care enough about the children because we haven't, uh, you know, because we haven't been funding them fully and we haven't done this and we haven't done that. And uh, I think Sarah is going to be uh, to bring some much needed clarity to the discussion. And, uh, well, we'll just we'll see what happens with that. It should be it should be an interesting discussion in our two uh, again with uh, Sarah Montalblano from the Alaska Policy Forum. And we're looking we're looking forward to that. So we'll see. We'll see what comes of that here in just uh, a little bit. So I guess we start off with, wow, how's your how's your weekend going? How are things uh, how are things happening? How what you know, what's uh, what's going on? Um, And uh, let's see what's let's see what's uh, what's uh, what's happening. I will say that one of the first stories that I caught here this morning uh, from over at the ADN was (laughs) a story uh, from my friend John Reeves who appeared on the Joe Rogan experience last month. And uh, he apparently uh, said a few things that uh, has got uh, <clears throat> has got some people out there doing some kind of uh, some kind of treasure hunt. Uh, John Reeves, who owns the Fairbanks Gold Company, told the uh, Rogan and his millions of listeners that the American history, Excuse me. The American Museum of His of Natural History dumped valuable mammoth uh, mammoth tusks into the New York East River about 80 years ago, right around the area off of 65 uh, 65th Street. And uh, when they heard that, <clears throat> uh, people actually went to look at them. But experts, including a researcher connected to a report that Reeves cited. When he made the claim, cast doubt on whether the valuable tusks will actually be found. They were part of a vast collection of Ice Age fossils gathered from Alaska, said uh, Reeves, who's also a board member of the Alaska Railroad. On the show, he read from a draft report associated with Fairbanks Exploration, a former mining firm whose assets he acquired. For a few decades around World War II, the mining company unearthed many uh, Ice Age bones and tusks that were sent to the museum. Uh, and it's actually uh, an entertaining uh, discussion uh, if you uh, want to get a chance to get a little peek into some uh, some real Alaskana. You should go listen to the Joe Rogan experience uh, and just look for the uh, uh, for the uh, Boneyard Alaska interview with John. Uh, John's a <clears throat> John's quite a character, and uh, it makes for a very interesting uh, for a very interesting listen. Um, but, uh, this made headlines, made headlines. People were paying attention and, uh, we'll see. There's a whole story on this in the ADN if you want to go out there and look at it. Uh, but here, that's John, John stirring up a little controversy, stirring up a little, uh, a little, uh, uh menace and everything else. Not menace. That's not the right word. T- trouble. Stirring up a little trouble, I guess is what I should have said. Not menace. That was the wrong word. It's Monday. Still don't have the full... Still don't have the full thing um, uh, on uh, full coffee load on board yet. Um, Well, the uh, the meltdown in City Hall in Anchorage continues. Uh, For those of you who have been paying attention to this, and I know many of you 
don't care. And that, and that's fine. I've got no problem with that. But uh, Mayor Bronson is having a, a tough time right now. The uh, and it's not being helped because obviously the new the newspaper is uh, all over this and following along. We talked a little bit last week uh, about Amy Dombowski, who is uh, trying to uh, it, it is basically suing the city for uh, termination and uh, a lot of other some bad stuff, some bad juju, and made some some serious allegations. All of it using Scott Kendall as her attorney, which. I don't know. I mean, Scott Kendall is like the anti-Republican guy, but I mean, I guess if you're going to go against the Republican uh, mayor, uh, then this is the guy that you want. Uh, She delivered an 11-page letter accusing Bronson of firing her in retaliation for, quote, attempting to convince Bronson to cease unlawful and unethical activities using municipal, uh, municipal resources. Now, what's really come to light here is the most serious accusation levied by Domboski, according to the paper, that uh, <clears throat> that uh, he allowed one of his uh, uh, or that he he stepped in into an investigation of harassment by one of his cohorts. Uh, that would be Larry Baker. Um, the matter. Uh, 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 let me see. It says here that Baker tried to prevent Hickel from being hired to work at City Hall, where it was another person, and twice used his influence to try and get then-Municipal Attorney Patrick Burke to drop or reduce the criminal charges against somebody else that worked for them, Sporhas, who is the person that uh, obviously was uh, uh, part of the harassment uh, suit. Uh, in the days before her firing, Domboski had also made the accusation in a December email to Anchorage's ombudsman. The Daily News report uh, uh, reviewed the email and obtained an excerpt. This is from the ombudsman report. Mr. Baker also attempted to influence the mayor and me, this is from Domboski, to not hire Colby Hickel, who was the victim of stalking and domestic violence at the hands of his business partner. That would be Baker's business partner. When they didn't work, he went into the municipal attorney Burke, both during the transition and during the term, to get the charges against his former business partner dismissed. Um, so this thing is <clears throat> blowing up in uh, in not a comfortable way. Let's just that. Senior policy advisor Larry Baker is uh, apparently dragging down uh, Mayor Broadson in this situation. I don't know, man. I, you know. Watching all this, trying to see, I just, the uh, the assembly and the mayor's office have been at loggerheads for so long, um, but Boski was on the inside, so I don't, I don't even know which way to blink at this point, but I just know right now that the city of Anchorage and its leadership, I mean, the whole thing is just between the assembly and the mayor's office and everything else, it is a hot, 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 hot mess in Anchorage, not one that I would like to step into. Uh, then there's an article from some, uh, from Sean McGuire and Iris Samuels in the ADN today talking about five things to watch in the, uh, in Alaska's legislative session, which again starts tomorrow and they go through a whole list of items. We don't have enough time to go through, uh, everything today, but, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting breakdown. Um, and, uh, but you could see that at the very end, 
the uh, the paper shines through with its bias immediately. These are the five things, and you can go out and read this. It's right on the front page of the ADN right now. But here are the five things that they line out that uh, that you need to know, they think, before the session begins. And uh, number one, the Senate has a game plan. They're organized, and they're ready to go, and they have an agenda, and they know what they're going to do for sure. Number two, the House is not in order. Uh, they have not organized. There's still some questions with the uh, thinness of the uh, of the majority uh, of Republicans, and there's really no idea how that's going to shake out. Is it going to be a bipartisan coalition, one way or the other? There's been some, uh, you know, some uh, some indications that maybe the House um, Republican majority, the conservative majority, or minority in this case, might be willing to reach across the aisle to some of the. Uh, some of the rural legislators, what would that look like? Nobody knows. So the House is not in order. Number three, Dunleavy appears to be willing to work across the aisle and uh, appears to be willing to reach out to various people uh, and uh, and deal with this. Now, the question is, is he willing to use his big red pen? Nobody knows yet. Number four, there are a lot of new faces in the Capitol. This is the largest group of freshman lawmakers coming to the Capitol since 2003, 20 legislators or one third of the total legislature is going to be brand new lawmakers. So they don't quite have an idea on what's happening there. But here's where they show their true colors, the ADN, the paper, by the way. Number five, Dunleavy wants a dividend of nearly $4,000, but it'll probably be smaller or state services will suffer. That's, I mean, that's how they put it. suffer state services, which has been, again, this is all part of their, this is all part of their, uh, I mean, that's almost exactly the same language that they used uh, late last, I guess, last week or early last week or the week before when they were talking about how you can have a big dividend or you can have state services, but you can't have both kind of thing. So not surprising, not surprising. So um, we'll, uh. We'll see what we'll see what happens here as we uh, as we go forward. Meanwhile, it's time to uh, hit it here. We're gonna jump into this. We got uh, Representative Ben Carpenter. Ben Carpenter is gonna be joining us here. He's already in the green room. We're gonna be joining him here in just a moment. In hour two. Sarah Maltolbano from uh, the Alaska Policy Forum is going to come in and talk with us about education. Man, it's going to be a busy morning. We will see you on the other side. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well, howdy, howdy, my friends. How are you guys doing this morning? How's it going? how's, How's life treating you? Um... I'm going through some of the comments here this morning. 
Um, let's see. Good morning from Alaska's Emerald Isle of Kodiak, which is wet and chilly today, but still beautiful. Good morning, Teresa. Thanks for coming in from the Emerald Isle. I loved Kodiak. Kodiak was such a beautiful place. Or oh, is such a beautiful. But when I was there, it was a beautiful. You know what I mean. You know what. Uh, good morning, Jen. Jen makes it to 6 a.m. Let's, uh, I mean, 6 a.m. Let's everybody give a uh, big, big howdy for Jen making it to 6 a.m. Welcome to the 6 o'clock club again, Jen. We appreciate you coming on board. Um, Jen's going to SHOT Show, which I'm super jealous about. Super jealous about. Um, and she says she's annoyed that uh, she's annoyed that Demboski's using Scott Kendall. Um, let me see. Don't plan on a PFD, said Bill. Like that, that, that was number five. You were real close. You were real close uh, there, uh, uh, Bill. Hoffman was in Hawaii for meetings. Oh, yeah, that's where Gary Stevens actually lives. Really? Is that is that really where he actually lives? Um, all right. Let's uh, go over to uh, let's go over to the uh, the green room here, shall we? Shall we make this all work here? Uh, I got to figure out how to. I got buttons to push, and I've already forgotten about all the buttons to push here this morning. Let's go over here and add uh, Representative Ben Carpenter to the screen and see what he's uh, going on. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Look at you down in Juneau, so bright. I'm doing- Look at you in your office, all bright and early this morning. Man, you're a go getter. <laughs> uh, that's what the calendar said i just had to be here right calendar said be here and that's exactly where you show up um well are you are you uh are you all ready for the uh for the madness the madness out there are you ready to go oh yeah we've been ready it's it's been madness for a while yeah yeah no i mean to, tomorrow tomorrow the starters pistols goes off and the and the game's <clears throat> The games really begin, and may the odds be forever in your favor. I mean, it's kind of going to be, it's going to be a hot mess. Uh, yeah, if you just remember, you just remember it's like Survivor, but you can't vote each other off the island. Exactly, we'll exactly. It's, it's just a big game. Yeah, we call it naked and afraid in Juno. That's what it's all about right now. Nay, nobody needs that. You know, nobody needs no. that. Uh, all right, Ben. Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you back in the green room for just a hot second here. Don't go anywhere. I just wanted to make sure right. your audio was good. Uh, and that's a slick looking shirt, by the way. I love that color green. I just that not many guys can pull that off. Look at you. You look great. All right, hold the line. I'll be right back. But you shaved your beard. I don't know. It's been a while since I seen the since I seen the chin. So uh, uh, good for you. I don't have that kind of uh, I don't have that kind of. Uh, bravery chin just put it well i have a chin there is a chin under here but i haven't seen it in 15 years so i'm like you know i'm a little afraid what it looks like uh all right hold the line here uh, ben we'll be right back to you i do have a chin it's under here somewhere uh, um but i'm afraid to look at it i'm afraid to see what it looks like after all this kind of stuff uh okay um let me see. It's uh, yeah, it has been a while. Survival without being able to vote anyone off the island is just a game called stalemate, says Anthony. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Um, <clears throat> whoops. Let me go back over here. Uh, what was that? Negative. Not so afraid in June. I don't know what you're talking about, Bill. No idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, all right, what else we got going on here? Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time. So I want to, whoops, 
Then connected and reconnected. Now he's back. I see it. Okay. Uh, that escalated quickly from beer pong to naked in Juno. Well, you know, there was a... Don't know. Everybody's going to take that out of context now. Duke says everybody in Juno is naked and afraid. I was a joke about the show Naked and Afraid. Never mind. Never mind. Nobody. Nobody. Like and share, like and share, like and follow. Let's go. We got things going on. We're ready to do this. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Ow Radio. Good morning. I had my coffee seems to be kicking in. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now with uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, who's joining us this morning, ready to uh, go and talk about all the things that uh, are happening down uh, happening down in Juneau. Uh, again, tomorrow is the beginning of the session. And, uh, oh, let the games begin, I think is what we just said. And we're, uh, we're ready to get into this. Good morning, Representative. Uh, you're bright and early and uh, ready to go this morning, I see. Good, good morning, Michael. Yes, we're, we're ready to go. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe third time's a charm. Third time is the charm. Maybe that we'll get it in. I, he had to connect a couple times to make it work. So we're uh, we're good to go. Yeah. Um, so, Ben, um, I guess it's been a while since we caught up and and, uh, you know, I kind of laid out what I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of what I wanted to talk about this morning. Uh, mostly, you know, it's going to start off with, uh, you know, the, the session. We're here. Uh, it's right around the corner. You know, what's happened uh, in the interim? We kind of want to know, uh, you know, what you see as some of the biggest issues with the session, what's happening with the organization. Uh, I know I've had a couple of people ask about the whole judiciary grand jury thing going on as well. Uh, they're looking for an update on that. I know there's been some things happening there. So I guess uh, well, I'll let you start with whatever you want to start with, but that's uh, those are kind of the things that we'd love to cover this morning while we have you here with us uh, on the air. Uh, hey, thanks. Um, I think what's on everybody's mind is whether the House is going to be able to get organized by day one. And I can say that there's a whole lot of folks down here working hard to try to make that happen. Um, it is about as complex a situation as as you would imagine. Um, and I, and I've, I've said this, you know, recently to some other folks that it's, it's indescribably complex. Um, there's a, there's a nugget there. I think it, it was a uh, Reagan that said that people were wrong to suggest that there was uh, no simple answers, that there are only simple truths that often lead to hard decisions. And people want to uh, avoid those hard decisions. So they ignore the simple truths. <laughs> complexity right, right, right. is how we deal deal with avoiding those simple truths. And um, the people see that 21 Republicans were elected to come down here and, and govern. But the reality is we don't have 21 Republicans that agree on organization, right. let alone any sort of policy issues. So we've got to work through that. And there are some decisions that we can make that are that are hard decisions to move forward. And then there are some complex situations that we can put together that we can move forward with. And we're, 
we're trying to figure that out right now. Van, one of the things that we've heard um, and, uh, you know, both in kind of passing conversation with some of the legislators and that I've been kind of hearing behind the scenes is that the what it was the Republican minority in the past, you know, the kind of that core group of more conservative Republicans has been that they uh, for the first time or really maybe in the first time in public hearing have said that uh, they are considering potentially reaching across the aisle and trying to form uh, some kind of coalition with a few people from the Bush caucus or whatever, that they understand that that might be a requirement. Because uh, before we've been kind of purists where it would only be, we would only, you know, it was only Republicans and Republicans only. Um, can you comment on that? Any credence or, I mean, your own personal opinion? Are we willing to work across the aisle with people in the formation of a coalition with a definite goal that we can all agree on kind of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, Going back to my time on the fiscal policy working group where we had um, bicameral, meaning uh, members of the Senate and the House working in that organization and members of both major political parties um, in that organization. And we came out with a recommendation. Right. And that was working together. The reality is that on November 9th this year, it was very clear to me that we were not likely to have a clear cut path for a Republican only legislature uh, in the house at least and um it's it is possible but again just saying that because someone's got an r behind their name is is not necessarily um it doesn't paint the whole picture so um it is likely that that's what ends up happening is that we find some some group of people that can coalesce um i have been very adamant in all of our discussions that that group include all of our Republicans. Right. And if to the extent that we can't do that, that's that's what you're going to see on day one, maybe day two, maybe day three. I hope not. But that that's the reality. Well, we're going to have to see. I mean, I, for one, as um, you know, as a libertarian and you know, more of a conservative libertarian, have understood that sometimes we can't get the job done by ourselves and we have to find people who may we may disagree with on some things, but we agree with on maybe some of the core principles of what we're forming a group around, you know, securing the PFD or securing the fiscal future, you know, reducing the size of government or whatever it is and finding, you know, some common ground. We've got to find common ground between us. Uh, I mean, that's been a problem in this country for the last 15 or 20 years. It's been a problem for a long time, but it's gotten worse where we can't even talk with people who we may disagree with on one or two things or three things or half the things. We can't find that one piece of common ground that we need. I think one of the one of the things that uh, you might find common between the, the mess that was Washington, D.C., getting organized in the House and here is that, you know, this this is a high trust process to get anything done, but we've got a bunch of low trust actors in it, right? We just haven't um, spent enough time with each other and um, had enough success to be able to trust each other. And if you can't trust each other, you've got to be able to trust the process. And I think that's what we saw in in DC was there were a few Republicans that were standing standing out and preventing going forward because they didn't, the process was stacked against them and against good governance. So I think that if we we focus on um, being able to trust the process, meaning if we've got rules in place that say bills need to be heard, then the committee chairs 
follow the rules and they hear the bills. If that leads to hard discussions and things we don't want to talk about, then that's what it means because each one of the legislators, the only thing we have in common, like um, amongst all of ourselves is a right to be heard. Right. So we bring bills forward and if we've got support for them, then they, they go forward. A committee chair doesn't get to stop that. that that's the, what I'm talking about. If we can come to agreement where we can trust the rules, then we can then we can start to work together. Right. It's not this monolithic uh, kind of dictatorial thing that we've seen in the past from some sessions where basically you shut up and sit down and be in the corner and they'll let you bring out what you want to bring out kind of thing. And I, I agree with that. I think the process needs to work. If you don't have the support for a bill, fine, but at least you, you should get a hearing for it. And I think that that is absolutely important. Uh, Willie in the chat room mentioned something that I think that this plays right back into. He said this is the third time after elections that the leadership could drag out for, you know, the organization could drag out for a while. And that plays into kind of that time compression as a weapon thing that we've seen in the past is, you know, we if we take up a bunch of time in the beginning, we're going to have even less time near the end. And then we can get ourselves into kind of that square corner where, uh, you know, where they want to uh, close everything out because we're running out of time and we got to get it done right now kind of thing. And so it behooves us to make this, you know, get on quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, if you've got um, some respect for the institution, meaning this is a this is a one branch of our government and one house within that branch. And we should have some respect for that, both for past, um, you know, forebears that came before us and also setting the example for future generations. Um, the time compression and the pressure ought to be on getting organized on day one, not not using a delay to our to our effect because we're setting a bad right. example for the next generation. Right. Right. So I know that there are people that will use that to their advantage. Um, you know, we we don't get um, 40 members elected that with all the same uh, level of scruples. It just it just doesn't happen. So right. some more unscrupulous folks will use those things to their advantage, even though it sets a really bad precedent, a really bad example. Right. So I, I hope that we are not going to continue that process that that you saw in the last two legislatures. I, I hope so as well. That is my hope as well. Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest uh, up from Nikiski. What's the new district number, Ben? I've forgotten already. Eight. 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 Okay. It only takes me about a year to figure out and relearn all the different district numbers from what they were. So, um, Ben, uh, what do you see? You know, let's move on to the next one of what do you see happening uh, and being the biggest issues that we're going to be faced in this uh, in this upcoming session. I mean, you know, the, the PFD, which is an issue that our listeners care about and have cons been concerned about for a long time, um, seems to be kind of a dead issue in many ways. Uh, but what do you see as being the big issues that you're going to be facing from the Senate side and and everything else? Let me uh, tell me what what you what you think so far. Well, uh, in all of our discussions thus far, since arriving down here, uh, there's there is um, at least on the surface an agreement that we need to find a long-term fiscal plan. What that entails is not um, perfectly clear, but pointing to the fiscal policy working group of a couple of years ago is something that is common that you hear common. So I think that that is one thing that will continue to be discussed down here. I think another thing that's been telegraphed is is that um, some sort of uh, BSA increase is 
on the table that people want to see that happen. Um, I think another thing um, that see BSA increase, um, I think your defined benefits retirement plan piece right. is another thing that, that people want. Oh, we're hearing a lot right. about that for sure. Yeah, a lot about that. Yeah, Although- I mean, this is where you this is where you come to to spend money. So that's that's why you hear these things. People want to spend the money on particular projects. And- right. Well, I hope that while they're thinking about some of these things, uh, specifically, I'm thinking about the defined benefits program, that we get a true and reasonable and rational fiscal note attached to some of these things. Because, uh, I mean, we're still seven uh, seven billion dollars plus in the hole in unfunded liabilities for the first defined benefits program. And uh, I mean, I, there's I see a lot of pie in the sky kind of commentary coming in from those who have been supporting the idea of a return to defined benefits, that it can be cost neutral, that it can actually save us money, that it can be, you know, a lot of this stuff. And uh, as much as I would love for, you know, pigs to fly and, and uh, ponies to have wings, uh, I want this to be a realistic, uh, a realistic discussion on these kind of things. Yeah, I. My my ideas, I guess, on real basic and high level is that if we're going to um, put a public retirement system in for employees that are that are working now, that we're spending today's dollars on those employees, both for their salaries and their retirement package, we don't saddle future generations with the burden for having to spend their money on employees that are no longer in the system. That just right. doesn't make sense to me. Right. Well, that's because we I mean, part of this is we you know, we have a problem uh, because Alaska is is is, you know, it was Alaska and one other state that basically uh, has a provision in their constitution that says any basically any agreement with, uh, you know, that's with a union in that way basically becomes a contract. And so I think it's us in Illinois that have the same provision in our constitution that make it so that if we if we enter into an agreement on that, it becomes binding and a contract and it can't be reduced in the future. Uh, And so that is a problem because it basically binds the uh, it binds the legislatures over forever in perpetuity. That's how we ended up with a seven billion dollar deficit on the first uh, PERS, uh, PERS and TERS situation, the first defined benefit situation. And so it's definitely problematic for us, uh, I would say. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a fairness question, general fairness question. Um, we can find employees to work in our um, state and local governments with having a fair and um, reasonable retirement system. Uh, you don't find defined benefits um, out in the private sector because Companies can't afford it. It's it's unsustainable. Only place you're going to find it is in government, and I think that's that's wrong. Private sector employees who are struggling to put their own retirement systems together should have a, a similar package, you know, as a as a state worker. I, I guess I should have said it the other way around: is that the state worker sh- should have a similar package to what's available on the on the outside, and and uh, giving special treatment you know, and basically forcing future generations to pay for um, state burdens, you know, all you're doing is shifting the risk. You're saying this subset of people that work for the state, they don't have to worry about retirement because the state's going to take care of them. Right. The rest of the people in the public sector that actually have to pay for it, they're the ones that are going to pick up the risk. I I just think that's 
fundamentally wrong. The language in the Constitution says membership in employee retirement systems of the state or its political subdivisions shall constitute a contractual relationship. Accrued benefits of these systems shall not be diminished or impaired. And that is important. We're only two states in the whole union that has that. Uh, we're going to continue here in just a second with uh, with Ben Carpenter, who's going to uh, be with us here till the top of the hour. We'll be back with more here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. We continue this discussion on what's happening in the legislature and more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Back right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, we're back uh, with Ben Carpenter here uh, in the uh, in the in the uh, uh, break commercial break. Ben, I mean, this is a this is an important uh, thing, and I want to say thank you to Donna for pointing that out to me. Uh, membership she says, begins on a state employee's first day of employment. Uh, and that's, I mean, this is, a, this is a big deal. I just posted this uh, in the chat room uh, for folks to see. Membership in an employee retirement system of the state or its, or its political subdivisions. Now we're talking about the municipalities, which is Jesse Keel's proposal, that all the municipalities be included in this defined uh, benefits program, shall, con- shall constitute a contractual relationship Accrued benefits of these systems shall not be diminished or impaired, which means that if there is some kind of call on the retirement system, like let's say for some reason today they said, oh, all these tier one, two and three people we need. I mean, the we got it. That unfunded liability. We're on the hook for it. And that means it comes. It's going to have to come. Some judge will say, well, you've got a multi-billion dollar permanent fund sitting there. So we'll go ahead and just you just draw it out of that and pay for it and take care of it. That's the problem. We could we could end up screwing ourselves in the long run on something like this. That's why I think that we need to have a real hard discussion about any proposal to return to defined benefits. Yeah, you're you hit the nail on the head. the The reality is that um, there are folks down here who want to see uh, state services increased. That includes more defined benefits um, retirement system, and they're going to pay for it with permanent fund earnings, and they're going to take a tax on the dividend. So that's in essence transferring or or moving money from the private sector or from all of Alaskans into the retirement system of some Alaskans, and they see that as a wise thing to do and a fair thing to do. Yeah, because. We need our state employees. And I'm not I'm not saying we don't, but I'm saying you can have a retirement system that doesn't do that and right. be fair to those employees. Well, and I would agree with you in your sentiment that basically said, you know, this the way we're looking at this now seems to be to hold harmless all state employees from anything that's happening in the economy and just make sure that whatever happens that they get paid. Meanwhile, those of us on the outside who are actually paying for that are struggling to figure out how to build our own retirements and put our own stuff, you know, uh, away for the future and, uh, you know, put our, fill our own piggy banks up. And it just seems like that is 
uh, in a lot of ways counterintuitive and fundamentally, I mean, I guess I would say unfair. I know life's unfair, but that just seems to be uh, right in the face of it that they'll be held harmless no matter what and we'll be paying for it no matter what's going on in our economy we're going to be taking and that's the thing it disconnects everything from the economy that's why i dislike the defined benefits idea so much is that there is no basis in rational fiscal fact at that point yeah i i don't think that future retirees have a bigger claim on permanent fund earnings than alaskans at, that are alive today and, and can draw a dividend check or that will be alive in the future that can draw a dividend check. They don't have a greater claim just because they've been a state employee and participate in the system. Right. But that's what the system's set up to do is say they have a greater claim to whatever state resource uh, revenue exists. Right. And, and that's just, that shouldn't be the case. Jeannie just threw us a, a little comment in the chat room. I'm going to throw it up there. Here's the caveat. She says, state workers work for half the hourly rate that the private sector does. The reward is that by enduring a lower wage, you get a greater benefit. That was the original intent of government wages, Jeannie. I think you would find that with the exception of a handful. I that. Yeah. For, with the exception of a handful of positions, maybe <laughs> professional level positions, state employees are not working for half the hourly rate of the private sector. Uh, I mean, that that may have been true 50, 60, 70 years ago. Today, it is not true. And in fact, you could see it in many, many areas that government employees are making, uh, in some cases, more than the private sector for the same work. Plus, they're getting the golden parachute retirement. So that was uh, that was an attractor in the beginning. That was the initial intent. But through step increases and wages and unionization and and colas and everything else, that number has slowly come up over the years. Ben? Yeah, I just say look at the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Look at the parking lot. Look at the parking go, lot, meaning look to... at the vehicles that they're driving, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, 25%. This is Donna uh, chiming in again, and I always like to hear what Donna has to say. 25% of Illinois' general fund budget pays for its pension system, and it's still only 40 percent funded that number ought to make you just just you know your pucker just should be whoa wait a second 25 percent of their overall budget and it's still only 40 percent funded uh which yeah we've, we've got ourselves upside down from the federal uh top all the way down to municipals throughout most every state financially and it's only it only takes one big bubble here uh, to burst and then we've got a problem on our hands ben carpenter's our guest let's jump back into it here we go the michael duke show Ben Carpenter continues with us, the uh, representative from District 8 down in Nikiski. Uh, we've been talking about, well, during the break, we just spent talking about the defined benefits and, and the pitfalls of that. And uh, it's uh, it's a little spooky. When they start talking about this stuff again, it seems like people have a very, very short memory. Uh, we started off with a $12 billion unfunded liability in the defined benefits program. 
And we've whittled that down over the course of about 12 years now to only $7 billion, only $7 billion. Um, but the problem is, of course, is that it fluctuates based on the cost of needs and everything else because it's a defined benefit. And it could hurt us. And Donna Ardwin, who's in the chat room, just made a comment because Illinois is in the same boat that we are. And she says that 25% of the Illinois general fund budget, meaning their whole budget, 25% of it pays for its pension system, and it's still only 40% funded. It means they have a 60% unfunded liability, which is kind of where we were at. But it's taken a quarter of their budget. I mean, that's just insane. Absolutely insane. Um, Ben, uh, I want to talk anything else that you could think of as far as uh, you know, big issues. What are your, the things that you're going to be focusing on as you come in here? Uh, I mean, whether it's fighting back against some of the big issues we see that are going to be coming down, or do you have some special things that you want to work on? What what is uh, what is your mission uh, or on your agenda personally uh, for down there in Juneau this session? Uh, it, it remains the same thing that it has been when I first got here, which is some sort of stability to our our fiscal picture. That's um, very important to me. Um, my my long-term and big-picture goals are that Alaska is more um, self-sufficient in the future and that we have a private sector economy that's able to grow and provide jobs and a good living for people. That's, I mean, that's at the 30,000-foot level. That's what um, Alaskans expect. They want that if they're going to live here. Otherwise, they're going to go someplace else if they can't find that. Uh, the legislature right. needs to support that. It's not that the legislature is going to create jobs, but we can create conditions where the private sector can thrive and people can have, make a good living and raise a good raise a family. Right. So that that's that's important. A part of that is good education, and we are spending way too much on education for the results that we're getting. And if we're going to have a conversation about spending more on education, then we ought to be having a conversation at the same time about how we're going to increase those results, and that. That has to happen. There, there right. has to be a linkage between um, more more money going into the system and better results coming out. Well, and, and my argument would be that that really needs to be a three-legged stool that you need to have. Okay, you want to have the funding discussion? Fine. You also need to have the accountability discussion that you're talking about here as far as educational results. And thirdly, we should have an edu- we should have a, an argument about who, you know, who pays? Where does the money come from? Okay, fine. You want to pay? We need good defined results. And where's the money coming from? This is not an infinite pot of money. You know, there's got to be, you know, you may have to take from Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. So where is the money coming from? It should be a three-way discussion on all of it. But I agree with you. I mean, we have done nothing but pour exponentially ever-increasing amounts of money into the education system. And yet we continue to fall to the bottom of the pool every time. I, I mean, it, it just can't continue. Something is fundamentally broken in that system. I don't know what it is, but we need to acknowledge that something's broken and that we need to look at it instead of just throwing money at it until we hope something works. That's Money isn't the issue. P- paying teachers more isn't the issue. Getting rid of administrators, less, lessening the admir- administration cost isn't the issue. Th- those are just um, symptoms of the problem, I guess you would say. We we have an issue, and it's all across the nation. We have an issue with uh, result poor results coming out of our education system, and it is fundamentally flawed. It is fundamentally flawed the way that we're operating it now. 
the responsibility for education has to lie with the parent. The teacher is powerless in the, in the um, classroom to reach a kid if the parents aren't supporting. So we have to get a system, uh, make some, some transformational change here that, that reorders the system to bring the parents back into the equation of educating kids. The, the expectation, and that's not a money question. That is a, what kind of system do we need to have in place that empowers parents to be involved, make decisions and, and actually have responsibility for the outcomes that we want? Right. It's not, the, it's not the education system that is going to make that happen. The education system is what's broken. Well, and we've seen some pushback on that nationally here uh, in the last few years. We saw what happened in Virginia when they basically told parents, uh, I'm sorry, you don't have a say in what's going on with your uh, students. We decide you don't. And the parents finally got up in arms and irritated enough about it. I don't know what it's going to take to wake Alaskan parents up to get them more involved in the systems and find out what's going on and look at the results <laughs> and say, my God, I mean, we are still at the same. When Sarah Palin was governor, what is that, 15 years ago now? When Sarah Palin was governor, we look back at that and we're like, oh, we had a 73% graduation rate. Today, it's gone all the way up to 76. One in four students are still failing. Something is wrong, and we spend more today than we did when Palin was in office, for sure. And the last 30 years, we spend more than we did 30 years ago, and it still continues to go wrong. So something has got to happen. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've kind of traded getting my hands dirty for let's just throw some money at it and then I don't have to get my hands dirty. Yeah. And I, I know that's a, that's a general statement, but in reality, that's kind of what we do. We can, as parents, we can wash our hands of educating our kids if we desire to. And, and we just put them on the school bus, send them to school. It's somebody else's problem for six hours. And then they come home and they sit in front of a TV or they do chores or they do their homework or whatever, but it's not, they aren't doing it because I said so they're doing it because a teacher said so. Right. And that's, that's the fundamental problem is we have to get back to the parents are responsible for making sure that the kids are successful in school. And this system doesn't, doesn't um, generate that. We can just wash our hands of it and, and say, Oh, it's the teacher's responsibility to educate my kid. Right. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It is ultimately your responsibility as a parent. Uh, ben, uh, we're running out of time here, so I don't know. Do you have an update for us on uh, what's happening with this whole grand jury thing that went down on the peninsula? You broke the story with us here a couple months ago. Uh, you got us an update of what's happening or what's going on uh, with that? Yeah, so uh, I have been um, knee-deep in organizational stuff. There has been some movement on the grand jury issue, but I haven't dug into it yet. I will. This is a very important issue. And there are some, I would say, explosive things that have happened since the last time I talked to you. The It appears, and this is, I need to get more details on this, but it appears that the Supreme Court may have ignored their own process for modifying rules. So they've got a, a process in place. They may have, have ignored that process in order to change the rules of the, of the grand jury. Um, kind of basically in favor of being able to control it. And I've spoken to the attorney general. He's not, he's not completely happy um, with, with what the Supreme court um, did. And I guess people should know that the, the court rules that are in place for how you, how you do everyday business 
is set by the Supreme Court and their committee process. So um, I, I'm going to dig into this. It just is uh, <laughs> on the back burner with this organization issue right now. So um, <laughs> I guess be patient and, and we'll get to it. Lots of fires, lots of irons going on and, and everything going on there. So, well, we look forward, uh, we look forward to that. Um, I would like to see uh, some work on that for sure, because the grand jury is the one thing that seems to protect us from everything else. Uh, ben Carpenter is our guest. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on board. We appreciate you being part of it. Thank you today uh, for, for being with us. It's a pleasure. All right. Hold Look forward to next time. Hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour two is dead ahead. Yeah, I got to say, Ben, uh, I think that the pandemic showed us one thing. It did engage a lot of parents because they saw they saw, number one, how it seemed like that the children weren't the priority uh, in the pandemic. It seemed like there was a lot of and this was a nationwide problem. It wasn't an Alaska problem per se, but they saw how a lot of communities it was all about making sure the teachers got paid and all this other kind of stuff before you know, putting putting woke politics ahead of uh, student education and everything. I'm not saying that's necessarily a problem for Alaska, but it woke a lot of people up. And then they discovered as they took on their own child's education that it wasn't nearly as hard as they were told. They were told that it would be impossible for you to teach your own children because you're not smart enough and you're not this and you're not that. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, wait a second. It, this was actually easier than we thought. And our kids are happier and they're doing better. And now you see that uh, Rob Myers is, is in the chat room. 25% of the students enrolled in the state are now in one of the correspondence programs. So you've got a full, and on top of that, we've seen this ever, you know, this this decrease in enrollment going on for years. And now that's just been accelerated. And so there might be a bit of a panic on that side of all that stuff happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that there's going to be a, a pushback on that and a, a heavy hand come down and say, well, that's part of the problem. People aren't participating in the process as it's as it's established and therefore the process is suffering. And I, I, I would push back against that and say that parents are the ones that have the responsibility to educate their system. If the process is broken and not working, right. they're going to go wherever they have to to teach their make sure their kids get a good education. Right. I just I just think that it's not fair to those parents and those families that have two working families and they and they don't have the time they just literally do not have the time to um spend at home with their kids they they are they're stuck where they're at maybe for the time being maybe for the entire time that they're having to raise their kids with with uh, two jobs and and just a, a lack of time to be able to do that but that doesn't mean the parent doesn't have a responsibility to to help decide what happens within the schools right and 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 what i'm talking about also is is it's kind of a it's a culture problem if you talk to teachers about what the biggest challenges are in the classrooms that the teachers have to makes it hard for them to teach they're cultural issues they're they're things that, that kids don't respect the teachers and if the teacher goes to the parent the parent is not respecting the authority of the teacher. We, we've got a culture problem that we have to address and it starts with organizational change. Yeah. No, that is the, that's, that's what has to happen. I agree totally. I mean, this is why uh, I and many others have been advocating for a backpack funding type system where parents get the choice. 
If they are not yep. satisfied with what they're getting, they take that money and they go to whatever other system they think is going to be better. And if that doesn't work for that year, then they can move to somewhere else until they find the one that fits their lifestyle, their needs, their children's educational style and everything else. But boy, you start talking about backpack funding or vouchers or anything else and the squalling starts, you know, it runs to high heaven. It, it may seem like it's uh, semantics, but it's it's not. If the parent uh, chooses to put the kids in the same school that they go now, but they've made that decision because they had a choice, then the results of the school are now on the, on the, it's the burden of the parent because they made the choice there. It's not like the state or the local municipality saying, oh no, you live in this area and you have to put your kid in this school. Well, then I don't have a choice and I don't have any responsibility. Right. But as soon as I say, I'm making the choice, my kids are going here, I'm going to put my money here, or I'm going to put the state's money here. Now I have responsibility. Now, now if the results aren't there, I I chose it. <laughs> right, right. No, and like I said, this kind of this backlash, and like you talk about the disrespecting of students and parents from teachers and the org and administrations and stuff like that. We saw the result of that in Virginia. Uh, you can't clap back against uh, parents and the public too hard. Uh, although that may be secretly how you feel, you can't do that because it will it will come back to bite you. Uh, and maybe we need something like that to happen here in the state so that we can uh, so, so that we can, you know, the sleeping beast will awaken, so to speak, and everything else. We have we have some bright, shining lights in the state in our charter schools. And I think we just need to duplicate what's working and yeah. we'll be in a better, better trajectory in the future. Ben, thank you so much for coming on board. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. We look forward to uh, talking to you here again, maybe in the next couple of weeks. OK, likewise. Thanks. Ben. Sure thing. Appreciate it. Ben Carpenter, our guest here on the Michael Duke show. Uh, we are coming back into it. I see Sarah Montalbano is in the uh, chat room or in the green room, not the chat room. She's in the green room. Let's go over there and say hi to her and uh, get things ready. Make sure her volume and audio and everything else sounds good before we get uh, started here with hour two. Uh, let's bring her on board. Whoop, uh, she she needs to be big, not small. Good morning, Sarah. <laughs> how are uh, How are you doing this morning? Good morning. I'm doing well. How about yourself? You know, there is no complaint. Well, it's Monday. I can complain, but uh, you know, it, <laughs> it is what it is. Sarah, you've been doing a lot of good work over there at the uh, policy forum, and uh, you've been following the educational stats. I dropped some of your information on the on the listeners last week, and there was some collective gasps in the chat room over some of the stats that you were bringing <laughs> in there. And I think that's what we need in this conversation. I think we need a discussion of cold, hard facts not this hand-wringing and uh and a lot of the hand-wringing and whining that we see in the local uh paper articles about we just don't care about the children because we haven't increased the funding and they act like the bsa is the only thing that's funding schools they never mention the hundreds of millions of dollars in addition to the bsa so i'm hoping you can bring some clarity to us today and maybe uh because this is a hot button issue for me i uh i've been on alaskan education issues for a long time and talked about how problematic they can be. Uh, but maybe we need to have a monthly segment or something with you to kind of give us a continual update on what's happening out there. But um, I just want to say, if you're ready, we're going to jump into it here and get ready to go. Okay. Perfect. All right. Sarah's uh, going back into the green room for a second and we are ready to go. Folks, like and share, like and follow, like and subscribe. Do all the YouTube and Facebook things. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to our audio-only live stream, to the podcast, which is available wherever you find podcasts. I prefer Spotify personally, but any podcasting app will do it. And, of course, links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And, of course... On regular old boring terrestrial radio, where it's always been free and it's always been good. On this, your local radio station and or FM translator across the state of Alaska. Welcome to Hour 2 of Monday. Oh, man, Monday. Where did the weekend go? I don't know. We're here, though. We might as well suck it up and be ready to go. We're going to continue now talking about issues uh, around the state of Alaska. We just finished up with Representative Ben Carpenter, who gave us his little snapshot of what he thinks is going to be happening in the session. Now we're moving on to educational issues. Today we're joined in Hour 2 by Sarah Monteblano, who is the, uh, I would say she's the education correspondent. She's the lead education researcher over there at the Alaska Policy Forum, and we're going to talk about the state of the state education, uh, which is, uh, again, has been a hot, bus- a hot button issue for me for years. And uh, it, I'm a little frustrated, in case you couldn't tell. I'm a little frustrated by it. But we're going to jump into it now with Sarah, and we're going to get uh, get her take on everything that's uh, going on. Let's jump over and bring her on board this morning to start that discussion. Sarah Montalblano, I hope I'm not murdering your name there sarah on that um but it's montalbano but uh, it's, montalbano. it's close <laughs> okay well you know just don't call me late for supper that's all i can say here for me this morning uh sarah you've been doing uh i mean you you do a lot of uh, uh articles uh over at the policy forum website at alaskapolicyforum.org talking specifically about education so i guess first and foremost hit me with the street cred what i mean where are you coming from who you know who are you and, uh, you know, what? Uh, why should I be listening to you when you write things out on the Internet uh, there? Tell us what's going on. I appreciate that. People don't ask that too often. Um, so I just graduated Montana State University with a bachelor's in computer science. So I'd like to think I'm pretty good at data analysis and things like that. Um, to comment on Alaska education, I feel qualified because I went through the public schools. I went through the Matsuburo School District. I was born and raised in Wasilla my whole life. Um, and that's that's something that I think numbers actually lend a lot of important information to this discussion where it's not just emotions and you obviously don't care about kids if you're you're talking about these things. So I right. think the numbers are revealing. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I exactly. That is the thing that gets me. Anytime you talk about education, uh, you immediately hear somebody from the back of the room cry, but don't you, but don't you care about the children? And of course, uh, you know, that's, Yes, of course we care. That's why we're trying to have a discussion is because we care about the children. This is not just a dollars and cents argument. This is, hey, we want to know what's going on. If it was just about the children and we were throwing all this money at it and we were acing it and we were somewhere near the top of the pack, this conversation would probably not be, you know, not be part of the of the of the thing here. We would be all okay with it. The problem is we've dumped ever increasing amounts of money into this system and yet it continues to drop further and further and for I mean we're 49th in what science or reading I mean we're 48th 49th 47th we're right down there at the bottom and yet we spend a tremendous amount in fact that's the first thing I want to talk about your article from this month about Alaska's education uh, freedom report card on spending was well let's just say it was eye opening <laughs> to say the least uh give give us some of the stats here let's talk a little bit about school spending in the state of Alaska Sure. Yeah. So the Heritage Foundation put together a report of all 50 states in D.C., ranking them on four categories, uh, transparency, regulatory freedom, spending, which we'll talk about first, and um, school choice issues. Alaska ranked 47th nationwide for high spending. And the way that they calculate this is basically looking at the the per pupil spending, which is very, very high. It's about $18,000 per student here in Alaska. And then looking at the outcomes, which are absolutely uh, atrocious. I mean, we've on the 2022 National Assessment of Education Progress that came out in October, we were 49th in fourth grade reading nationwide. So we're not getting a lot of bang for our buck. Right, right. Not getting a lot. I mean, I just mentioned it during when I had Ben on is that I remember when Sarah Palin was governor, that one of the big sticking points was that uh, graduation rates were at 72 or 73 percent. And we're going to fix that. And we did. We got all the way up to 76 percent today. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that, those three or four percentage points were huge. But that still means that one in four students don't graduate. And for what my understanding is, is that many of these students who do graduate, they have to take remedial math to be able to even go into college because they don't have enough math to be able to understand a 100 level college math class. Uh, I mean, that's $18,000 a student every year for, you know, 15 years. You're talking about we've just spent one and a half million dollars on this kid uh, and or uh, whatever it is. I, I butchered the math there. Obviously, I'm a product of the system. But I mean, you know, we spent all this money and and yet one hundred fifty thousand dollars on these kids and we can't figure out how to get them to teach math or to learn or do or to graduate or whatever. There's something fundamentally broken here. Absolutely. I'd have to look up the exact statistics, but the University of Alaska conducted a study back in 2013 or 2014 that shows about 70% of students have to take some sort of remedial class when they entered the University of Alaska system. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tremendous. And that's Crazy. not, yeah, it's, I mean, especially for kids who were just freshly minted and graduated, that seems like an extraordinarily high number. So you had a you had a quarter that didn't even make it, and then twenty percent of the residual have to take remedial classes. Uh, I mean that that's an astonishing number based on how much we're spending on this situation. Um, and where's the you know people are like, well, fine, where's the money? Where's the money going to? And you hit a tremendous statistic in here, something that we've been talking about for a long time because I saw a graph 
and I have it. I'm not going to throw it up, but there's a graph that shows the uh, it, it's it's two diverging uh, data points. One is the enrollment, and the enrollment is continually going down. It's a graph going down, and on the other side is the overhead and the employee count, the administrative employee count at most of these school districts. And it's a divergent cone. I mean, one's going down, one's skyrocketing up. And you point out that that's a big problem because we've got a whole lot of people who are not in the classroom teaching. Yeah, absolutely. The Heritage Foundation looked at data from 2018 and 2019, I believe. Um, and they found the ratio of teachers to non-teachers was 0.79 for every four teachers there are five non-teachers in alaska public schools the teachers are outnumbered absolutely and that's been a continuous problem right i mean it's a growing problem it's not something this, yeah. this is not something that's brand new this has been happening over the last decade and uh that's where a lot of that stuff is being go eaten up and speaking of the bsa the way the bsa is factored is that it is uh it it favors the buildup of administration versus dollars going to the classroom. Am I wrong? I, I believe that's true. School funding formulas are a little complicated and I won't pretend that I'm an expert on that quite yet. Um, but absolutely, administrative staff have been increasing. This is a nationwide problem. This isn't unique to Alaska. Um, and the, an interesting report that we've summarized on the Alaska Policy Forum website is um, a report by the Reason Foundation, K-12 education spending spotlight. And we see, you know, in Alaska, revenues went up 32% from 2002 to 2020 after adjusting for inflation. And so we see continual increases in education funding. Um, most of that is going to support services and administration. So 20%, and I love me the I love me some Reason Foundation stuff. Uh, Corey DeAngelis <laughs> is a friend of the show, and he's been on several times to talk about this. But um, so a 20% increase in revenues for school systems, for the school uh, overall education system since 2002, in the last 20 mm -hmm. years. Uh, but that's not what I hear in the newspaper, Sarah. What I hear in the newspaper is that we don't care about children because we haven't bumped. We've only bumped the BSA 4%, not the 17% that inflation has hit us with. Uh, so we obviously don't care. Again, no mention of any of these other funds, no mention of the 20% increase in the last 18 years. Mm -hmm. and, and we look at that, we've got 32% revenues up overall. And then K-12's total support services growth has gone up 50% per student. Um, so it's it's really remarkable to look at this and think about the incentives in the funding formula, if that's correct, that incentivize administrators over teachers, and they're taking resources from the classroom. Right. Um, do you have, and it's not mentioned in your article, or if it was, I missed it, do you have an actual notation on how much of these dollars actually make it into the classroom as a percentile of each dollar? Uh, I don't i don't think so um when we if we break it down the heritage foundation doesn't have this but there's another report on our website that i just mentioned that i'm going to pull up and see if i've got that number I right know, off the top of my head because yeah, i know sarah vance came in and said uh yeah she said it's more it's like 47 percent from the numbers that she saw make it into the classroom in K-12. In the in the university, it's even worse. Only like 15% of the dollars make it into the classroom at the university level, which is 
astounding to me. I mean, this is supposed to be about the students. It's supposed to be about education. And if only half in the K-12 and only 15% in higher ed is actually making it into the classroom, somebody's got some explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have that number off the top of my head, but it would not surprise me whatsoever if that was the case. Um, you know, one of the big points on this, this report that we did about the Reason Foundation, the benefits are growing enormously by, you know, over 100% from 2002 to 2020. And what we see is that teacher salary, instructional salary barely went up. It went up 1% or something like that. While, you know, support services, salaries and benefits are growing at the same time. Uh, so it's really remarkable that teachers, you know, they're probably right that they're not getting raises, they're not getting paid the way that they should be. Uh, but that is not because there's not enough funding available. It's that it's all going to administrative work. Right. And overhead and things like that. Mm -hmm. That is and that I think would shock most Alaskans if they understood that if they understood that component of it, that the teacher salaries and benefits uh, and and uh, and their their gravy train went up one percent, and yet we see a thirty two percent increase in in eighteen years overall in uh -huh. in educational spend. That's I mean that's astonishing. And and now because of that, because of this inequity for teachers, now we're talking about something even bigger. We were just talking about this with Representative Carpenter which is the retirement system and the retention system. And you make some comments on that, which I want to get to here in just a second, but we're going to, we're going to have to take a break. Unfortunately, uh, we're going to continue with uh, Sarah Montalbano. I hope I didn't kill that. I got it. She nodded. I got it right. All right. So we're going to continue with her here in just a second. And uh, we're going to keep her. If she's willing to stay, we're going to keep her for the whole hour because I think she's got, she's got some juicy stuff here, baby. We're going to talk about that. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. We're talking education all morning long. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. We're in the break right now with uh, Sarah Montalano from uh, the Alaska Policy Forum. Sarah, um... I'll be honest with you, you lay out a lot of this stuff here, and I don't know if it's because the uh, uh, APF stuff is off in a corner of the Internet that nobody's paying attention to, but I'm surprised you haven't gotten some death threats over some of the stuff that you're laying out there, <laughs> some of these hard truths and facts, because uh, when you read through this, and you have a you have columns that go back uh, for quite a while here talking about education, um, I mean, this is, some, this is some shocking stuff, and... Uh, it would seem that if parents were more uh, educated about this and got more involved uh, and educated themselves on the issues, this could be a self, you know, a self-healing problem. But it's just like people are not paying attention. They see the headlines and they go, oh, yes, we need more education funding because obviously we don't care about the children if we don't. Um, and that's kind of shocking. 
It is. And I, I would love if parents would involve themselves in the nitty gritty of these numbers, because I think they're very revealing um, about the state of Alaska's education system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me see here. I'm going into the chat room, see if there's any kind of uh, commentary. Oh, Brian, thank you. Brian uh, dropped the link to the uh, Reason.org uh, spending spotlight, uh, which is good, which reminds me we need to have Corey DeAngelis back on the program here. We haven't talked to him in quite a while. Um, but he is, uh, he's the same kind of thing. Just, just dropping the truth bomb on people, uh, and, uh, watching people lose their mind. Uh, Donna Ardwin, former OMB director of the state of Alaska, 6,000 BSA per student, 18,000 per student in the system, 26,000 per educated student. Ow, 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 because that 18,000, it doesn't, that's outside the BSA, right? That sounds like it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it, they, yeah. this whole wow. thing, the whole, <laughs> well, the amount of money just boggles the mind. I mean, I look, I'm a, I'm a homeschooling parent. We've homeschooled. Uh, my youngest now is 17. My oldest is 28. We homeschooled all five of those kids inside of the idea system here in the state of Alaska. And uh, I mean, we, we got nowhere near that amount of money. High schoolers got like 4,000 bucks or something like that. Uh, and the grade schoolers got uh, $2,700, $3,000 or something for the entire school year. And we right. did pretty good. You know, we did okay. I mean, these kids are, you know, they haven't gone out to become rocket scientists, but they're educated. They're happy. They're healthy. They can hold a reasonable conversation. They can do math. They can read a book. I mean, I think that's kind of a, a success as far as that goes. And uh, I look at the amount of money being spent at the brick and mortar and this isn't, I mean, this is a nationwide problem, right, Sarah? This is not strictly an Alaska problem, although we are an extreme case of it. I mean, we've got a problem across the country with our educational, especially when you start looking at international standards. We ain't doing so hot. No, no, we aren't. Um, it uh, we just lost Sarah there. Uh, we'll see if she jumps back on board uh, here in just a second. We just lost our connection to her, so we'll see if she can jump back in here and uh and be part of it uh let me see um last kim said last year the kpbsb the kenai school board gave administrators a central office and an eight to eleven percent raise and a nine thousand dollar bonus for a few because they took on extra duties ow ow that's not what we need right there all right sorry about that sarah it was a quick uh quick disconnect and we're ready to go uh, if you want to, my add, apologies. No, that happens. So again, this is an international, you know, in the international scope, this is not just an Alaska problem. This is a national problem. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a few states that have bucked that trend. So if we look at the reason uh, report again, Indiana increased zero percent from 2002 to 2020 after adjusting for inflation. Idaho went down three percent. So there are states that are making this work. Uh, doing more with less. Um, and, and Alaska is really one of the higher spending, higher increasing states. When we look, we're up against New York and uh, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, places like that, that are on the East Coast spending a lot of money per student. And we have to think about too, that the variance across all of our districts are really large. There are some districts that are doing well with a, a, um, a, a pretty low amount of money comparatively. And then there are districts that are needing forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 per kid. Uh, well, it's really right. remarkable. That hold, hold the line for a second. Here we go. The Michael Duke show.
and Annette Funicello. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. We're continuing now with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum talking about education. Uh, and we were just talking about how, I mean, this is not strictly an Alaskan problem. Alaska obviously has got uh, some bigger issues than most states, especially since we consistently spend more and end up in the bottom. But, you know, nationally uh, across the entire U.S., I mean, our educational achievement uh, compared to other developed nations is, I mean, we used to be in the in near the top and then it would kind of fall in the middle. And now we're just kind of down there in the mess zone. Yet we continue to spend a lot of money. Uh, and I think part of the problem is, Sarah, is that people are, you know, they refuse to say that potentially there's a problem. Potentially there's something broken in the system. So all we need to do is just throw more money at it, and it will eventually work. It's kind of like communism. If we just throw more money at it, it will eventually work. But what we're seeing is, no, it's not working. Uh, and that's the bigger issue. Absolutely. That's one of the things that other developed nations are are really pointing out to the United States at this point, is that throwing more money at this isn't helping whatsoever. There are some attitudinal shifts that needed to be made um, that are going to be really critical culture um, in respecting education and what it can do for kids. Um, I think that's one of the big things that is a huge scope problem. I can't pretend that I can fix it, uh, but it's something we need to talk about if we're talking about uh, differences in other countries versus the United States. You talk in your article back in uh, December, uh, you talk about one of the other pillars of this uh, heritage report, which is the regulatory freedom. Um, I was just talking about what happened in Virginia back in November when the uh, Terry McAuliffe and many of the other uh, luminaries inside the government basically told parents, shut up and sit down. You don't decide what your teacher, what your kids are being taught. We do, uh, which led to a huge backlash in Virginia. Uh, and that was kind of a that was kind of a, 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 a an outlier because usually they're very quiet. They don't say the quiet part out loud, you know, but that's kind of the attitude is basically we're the experts. You're not shut up and sit down. We'll tell you what's best for your kids and you'll like it because you're paying for it already. So you'll like it. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the regulatory uh, aspects of the Heritage Report. Sure. Alaska ranked 31st in regulatory freedom. So solidly middle of the pack, nothing too remarkable. Um, what we see is um, it's ranked on several different pieces. Um, the degree of barriers to entering the teaching profession, uh, that's really important that when you have a lot of state regulations on teacher licensure, uh, you're blocking talented individuals who probably should be allowed to enter the profession with serious monetary and non-monetary hurdles. Like you're going back to college or I have to take a certain number of credits or classes to get my uh, license. Uh, the next thing is the presence of chief diversity officers in school districts. There's a few important caveats uh, to looked at school districts over 15,000 students. And since there's only two of those in the state of Alaska that they found, that means the Anchorage School District, the highest, must have something that they've considered uh, a chief diversity officer. And then finally, uh, the Heritage Foundation looks at whether the state has a common court testing requirement of some sort. And Alaska actually did well for this because uh, we never really adopted the common core standards and we're not using those aligned tests. So we have more local control of education. So that's a that's good news for Alaskans is that we are more yes. of a middle of the road friendly 
regulatory environment, but could we do could we do better? Absolutely. Uh, the big one is barriers to teaching. Um, there's zero percent of Alaska teachers coming to the classroom from non-traditional means, which means all of them are coming through teachers' colleges, and teachers' colleges have a few big problems, but mostly that uh, teachers aren't really being taught their subject they're being taught how to teach and that's a, that's a different thing and so we don't have teachers necessarily that are masters of their craft and masters of their subject they're they've just learned these teaching techniques that may or may not apply um and then there's so much variance too with what is being taught in teachers colleges that um yeah i, I don't see any reason why teachers or prospective teachers wouldn't be allowed to just sit down and take a test right. and that they don't have to go through all these arduous, you know, certification processes, um, competency exams, preparation programs that that's, you know, another word for go through a college course or four years. Um, so I would really think that we should, first of all, to alleviate the teacher shortage, which is nationwide, not just Alaska, um, but we should be making things easier for teachers. Right. Well, and I've heard some stories is anecdotally, uh, uh, not firsthand, but talk to people who are like, you know, well, my wife was a teacher from somewhere else and she's been trying to get a job here, but it's nearly impossible because she can't get in the door. And they're supposed to allow the teaching certificate like a temporary one year mm -hmm. and then they can extend it. But then you got to jump through a bunch of hoops and everything. If you're having such a hard time getting teachers, you'd think that if you've got a teacher who's certified with experience, even if it's from another state, you'd go, okay, you must be okay, and like you said, give them some kind of basic, not a college course, but just a competency test to say, can you do it, and then put them in the system. But it just seems like it's nearly impossible. Uh, one guy said, uh, one guy told me here last week, he said, yeah, my wife was uh, certified, everything else. She's been a substitute teacher, and the district person told her, well, you'll never get hired as a full-time teacher if you're a substitute teacher because we like what you're doing. And we just, I mean, just like, wait a second, she's trying to get hired full time and she's got all the things that you need. You'll take her as a substitute, but you won't take her as a full-time teacher. What is the problem? That's, that's such a shame because we really have talented people from other states that want to move to Alaska and that they're not able to, and this is a problem across various professions that they have to get relicensed in this state. And, you know, Alaska doesn't make it easy. You said, um, there's a one-year certificate for their out-of-state license, but then to extend it up to three years, they, you need to take a competency exam, you need to take a pro preparation program within a year, and then within two years, you need to complete three semester hours of an approved Alaska Studies course and three semester hours of an approved multicultural course. The, this is a cost, that's six credits of university costs that they need to take to find these classes. And it's it's just ridiculous to me that people are being told that, well, you're good enough for another state, but you're not good enough for Alaska. So we're going to make you jump through hoops. Let's talk about the uh, the big elephant in the room. I mean, as we as we've been talking about, BSA obviously has been the big talking point in the newspapers. But now we're seeing more and more discussion on the retention and how because we don't have a good pension program and we've got a defined benefit or a defined contribution plan. But it's yes. not good enough. We need a defined benefits program, uh, some kind of gold-plated thing that will attract teachers from everywhere and they can get vested in and then move out, uh, you know, or whatever. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts? What, are the, what does the research show on um, not just the teacher salaries but on the benefits and the retentions and the retirements? 
That's an interesting question that we're going to be looking at further. So go to alaskapolicyforum.org and subscribe to our newsletter uh, if you'd like to find out more once we've done solid <laughs> research on this. That was the um, tease. But, that was the tease. We call that the tease. That's look, the hook. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, it's really important, though, because we are going to be looking at this in depth. Um, first of all, the state needs to be able to pay off its pension liabilities if it needs to. Um, and so that's unfunded pension liabilities are pretty high in the state of Alaska. I think in 2015, we paid down a lot of it, but it still totals $1.86 billion that the state owes retired teachers. And that's, that's really remarkable. What I've heard on the teacher retention side, and I would have to go find the source for this, but the pension benefits aren't nearly as important as upfront increases in salaries. Um, and one of the things that pensions are difficult, that there's kind of a curve where at the beginning, you're not so interested in pensions, but then once you're really close to retirement, pensions suddenly really matter right. um, as a teacher. Um, and so that's that's one of the things that we can help restructure um, pensions to to make it easier. First of all, pensions are really this is an exciting topic. Pensions are hard to move around. Right, um, so right. if you're trying to uh, move school districts, that suddenly becomes more of an issue. So it's not so portable. Um, and, and that's really, it, it, pensions aren't really working for teachers. And it's not that it needs to be a defined benefit plan. Defined benefit plans are extremely risky financially for the state. And I, they wouldn't make all that much of a difference in teacher retention. Right. Well, I mean, we and it's proven that they're risky for the state. That's why we still have Absolutely. a $7 billion unfunded liability to the uh, to the defined benefits programs, of which $1.8 billion is going to the TERS system, the teacher system as well. Yeah. The other part of it is the PERS system. Um, and going back to that seems when you say risky, uh, you know, I, I think that's an understatement at this point because we've seen what's happened uh, with that. So what are teachers and, – and there was another reason report, and I'm sure you read, that talked about, you know, are Alaskan teachers – well, it wasn't talking specifically about Alaska. It was talking about teacher pay in general. And Alaska's pretty good. I mean, they, we were in the upper – we were in the upper echelon. We weren't in the top for sure, but it was pretty good. But when you start seeing that they're only getting increases of one or two percent uh, versus the administrators getting a lot, you know, getting a huge push, that that might be part of the problem right there, wouldn't you say? Sure. Yeah. And, and you have to remember that the benefits are what are increasing. You're not upfront uh changing the number that appears on a teacher's paycheck when you're adding to their their pensions and their health insurance and and not that all that stuff's not important but it's a lot less motivating because it's 20 30 years in the future um and so i i'm not familiar with the the paper you're citing but i do think that it's rather um it, it's a rather difficult assertion to make that, well, we need to pay teachers more. And then you plug it all into things that are way down the line. Right, right. Exactly. They have to see some immediate, there has to be some immediacy in the benefit. It's very yeah. amorphous, that pie in the sky, 30 years from now, you'll thank me kind of thing. And mm -hmm. like you said, most hey, of the Assuming you stay with this district and this state yeah. long enough and you don't want to move anywhere, exactly, um, which is a, a really outdated uh, perception of work. Well, that's the first time that I've heard about, you know, having a difficulty of moving inside the state of Alaska in the pen. So you can't, tra if you work in the Yukon Koyukuk school district and you want to move into the Fairbanks school district, 
it becomes difficult to transfer your pensions around? Is this not a state mandate or what? what's going on? This, this is a statistics I've heard from national uh, sources, so I'm not sure if it does apply to Alaska, but that is what I've heard is that it is it becomes difficult to move through districts and especially across states. I mean, if you spend your career as a teacher in Alaska and you want to move to Washington, uh, that's, first of all, a lot of time and money that you put into this pension that is is not so beneficial to you later. Right. Uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest. She is with the Alaska Policy Forum. She is their educational uh, researcher. And uh, is that your official title, education research? Education policy analyst, but that's essentially it. (laughs) Education policy analyst. Uh, And she has got a series of articles. If you haven't gone over to Alaska Policy Forum and clicked on the education tab, you could see all the things that uh, she's been working on, and uh, it's quite a it's quite a, a list of uh, things as well. Now, you mentioned this heritage report had three things: the spending, the regulatory. What's the third leg of the heritage report that uh, we need to talk about? We're going to do a tease for the next segment here. Transparency. Okay, so transparency. transparency. We're going to find out. And again, this the word transparency reminds me of the whole thing in Virginia. Again, all of a sudden they said the quiet part out loud, which is we're not going to tell you because we know better than you and we know what's going on. So this should be an interesting, uh, an interesting conversation. Sarah Montalbano is our guest and we're going to be talking with her more. One final segment of the Michael Duke show back with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll return with more right after this. Regularly heard on American radio. Okay, in the break right now with Sarah, and I did, I failed to mention to Sarah, when you hear the ding like the ringside bell, that means we got 10 seconds to wrap up before we rejoin the radio, Sarah. So sorry about that. I meant to tell you that earlier. And well, no, you had no idea. You just thought we were about to fight or something. You know, it's like, (laughs) put up your dukes and get going on with it. Uh, All right, so we're going to talk about transparency next uh, here, and we can kind of go over that. And then we'll summate with what your thoughts are uh, on this. And, I mean, I welcome your opinions on, you know, how we fix this problem. Um, but let me let me ask you this in in all the research that you're doing and the and the different reports that you're reading from Reason and Heritage and Cato and everybody else, what do you think would be one of the most shocking things um, that the average Alaskan, if they heard it in the wild, they would be like, what the actual f- I mean what I mean what what do you you know what do you if, what are the what is the most shocking thing you think that Alaskans would just uh, absolutely sit straight up about uh, as you look at all these numbers and these stats especially in light of what the papers and the media is pushing forward right now I hate to say it but that pure per pupil spending figure is really astounding and there's some interesting work at Ed Choice that shows that parents and the general public really underestimate how much is being spent. They say, yeah, it's about $4,000 per student. And then they get to show them the actual results. And for us, that's even a starker difference. We're spending $18,600. That's so much more than people expect. And then people begin to wonder, is that really what my tax dollars should be going to? Is this being used well? 
is is my child getting $18,000 worth of benefits from being in the public school system? So I think that statistic really floored me when I first learned it. Right. Um, and I think it, it manages to still be surprising. Yeah, I will tell you that the one statistic that caught me and I, I think caused the most uh, angst, no, maybe outrage in the chat room was your comment from your latest article here in January talking about the teacher to non-teacher ratio where they found that yes. uh, there were 0.79 teachers for every non-teacher in Alaska's public schools. And to clarify, for every four teachers, there are five non-teachers in the public school. And that is yes. mind-boggling in my mind. Absolutely. It, it's really remarkable to think about. It, teachers are outnumbered, and we look at the increases in spending, and it's going towards adding one more administrator for every teacher you add it's it's really remarkable yeah um it, it floors me well, to think about that but that's not unique that is such a common thing across every school district in alaska pretty much across you know nationwide school districts right i mean i think back i'm dating myself a little bit here but i think back 35 years to when i was in high school and i think about the number of teachers versus you know administrators counselors whatever and it was mm -hmm. very small. I mean, it was a very small number as opposed. It was probably at least two uh, two to one uh, as far mm -hmm. as administrators versus teachers. And we did pretty good back then. Our our achievement was was pretty darn good. And so it's gone completely in the opposite direction. And yet nobody seems to say, what were we doing back then that we're not doing today? That what what again, we refuse to admit that something is broken in the system. Right. Just throw more money at it. That'll fix it. But that it's not fixing it. Mm -mm. No, uh, all this money is just getting funneled and siphoned off. And it, it really frustrates me. And that's that's what I will say, uh, aside from my my policy think tank hard numbers hat, is that it's really frustrating to see these increases and then not never see any increases in outcomes. Well, and the fact that such a low percentage of the numbers of the money is actually getting into the classrooms where it's both. I mean, this whole thing, if we're a factory and we're making not widgets, but we're making children, right? We're making educated children. And yet mm -hmm. you've got, uh, you know, you've got a 25% rejection rate of, of your assembly line. They're just out the door. They don't yeah. make it. And the remainder 20% are defective enough that they can't even go to college. And I'm, I'm talking as an analogy here, folks. I'm not saying children are mm -hmm. defective. All right. But if you're producing a product and it's that bad and yet your overhead is is eating up you know you got you got five managers for every four workers on the assembly line something's wrong something is not i mean something is just fundamentally flawed and until we can address that and acknowledge that i don't see it being fixed do you i i really don't there's a lot of work that needs to be done to improve and reallocate these resources towards the teachers doing the work in the classrooms. And as much supervision as you'd like to do, as many support services, that's not a teacher getting in front of a classroom and teaching them how to read or do math. Um, it's, it, all of these things are perhaps worthy to pursue in themselves. Right. Um, these various administrative support roles um, 
some of it's surely useful, but a lot of it isn't the purpose of education. The difference of nice to have versus must have, right? It would be nice to have all these things. And how much of that is because of the abdication of uh, parent uh, parental responsibility, right? Oh, we'll let the schools take care of it. We'll let them take care of it. We'll have Mm -hmm. this pre stuff and all this other stuff because it's easy, right? I mean, that's what it all comes down to. All right. Transparency is going to be our topic as we jump into this, and we may talk a little bit about backpack funding if we have enough time. Uh, Sarah Montalbano is our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free Thinking Radio. Well, <clears throat> how did we get here? I mean, geez, the fastest two hours in radio for sure. The Michael Duke Show. We're continuing now one final seg- uh, segment with Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum. She is the senior education analyst and researcher on education here in the state of Alaska. And she does some fantastic writing If you haven't uh, gone over to alaskapolicyforum.org and clicked on the education tab recently, you may want to do so. In fact, they got all kinds of good stuff over there at APF, but you probably want to go over there and take a look at education. If you want to get deeper into this topic, you can see what Sarah has been working on and uh, and you get get a feel for where we're at. And once you do, be prepared to be outraged because there's a lot of hard facts in there that are just not making it into... The reports of the mainstream media. I mean, you know, we're just not seeing a lot of this hard numbers and this hard math going out there. And uh, it's frustrating because people are making their decisions based on a headline and they're making calls to their legislators based on what they read in the news instead of actually getting the stats. And I quite honestly, I think you probably most legislators don't have the numbers or have been aware of the numbers that Sarah's bringing out there. So, uh, Sarah, you were talking about the Heritage Report on education. It's the Educational Freedom Report Card. And there were three aspects of it. One was the spending. uh, One was the uh, regulatory aspect. And the third was transparency. So tell us how Alaska did on transparency. And what does that translate to for common average folks out here? What does that mean? Alaska ranked 29th in transparency. That is our highest rated uh, section of this report card. There's a fourth section school choice that we'll be publishing fairly soon. We don't have a date set yet. Um, But transparency is basically the right of citizens to know what the government is doing with their tax dollars. Um, And it helps to hold elected leaders school districts and schools accountable for the decisions they're making with those tax dollars. Uh, So transparency is one of my favorite topics. It's really, really important for not only the general public, but for parents to be able to understand what's happening in classrooms and how is this money being spent. And I I think that's important to know. So Alaska ranks 29th. Uh, Do we have any details or, or, you know, stuff extrapolated from that? Yeah. So there's several points. Um, The level of parent access to curricula and materials was one of the categories Alaska did really well on um, because of the 2016 parental rights law. Among other things, that law means that uh, parents must be provided with curricula for review um, and parents have the opportunity to opt out of particular activities, classes, programs, or standard-based assessments too. Um, So parents are able to actually review a lot of this curriculum. 
And and I think that that's uh, that's well and good because uh, I know that there was a big dust up and fervor uh, from your alma mater, the Matsu School District here recently, mm-hmm. where they had some uh, educational components that they were talking about, including uh, that I think was some of the uh, CRT stuff, the sixteen nineteen project stuff that they were going to include in their curriculum, and the uh, and the parents lost their mind with the school board and they they pulled it back on that. So I think that that's good. They didn't get the proverbial finger as they did in Virginia there uh, for parents. And I think that that's good. That's a positive. So we're moving in one positive direction on that. Although 29th out of 50 or 26th out of 50, still not great, but uh, you know, at least that's better than 49th, right? It's better than 49th. It's a lot better than the 47 we're posting and spending. Uh, It is our highest category, but still middle of the pack. Um, One of the other things we did well on uh, is state level requirements for public participation and meetings. Um, And so that's one of the things that you get to show up to your school board meeting. You are you were afforded the Alaska law affords the public not only a right to attend meetings of municipal bodies, but also a reasonable right to be heard at all regular and special meetings. So that's one of the things that we have going for us is that you can show up to your school board meeting and be heard um, a lot of the time. It's covered by the municipal code. Um, so that's that's something parents should keep in mind whenever something happens like that in the Matsu School District, which I didn't hear about, but I'm unhappy about. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, and we're seeing some of these things, of course. I mean, there's a nationwide trend to move on to some of these things. It was the same thing with Common Core, right? It was a nationwide mm-hmm. trend. Alaska dodged the bullet, I think, in part because there was such a hue and cry from the populace about Common Core. Uh, we are engaged in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it's good to be able to hold back and keep it to the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, and stop with a lot of the extra stuff that they're trying to stuff into these curriculums. So good for us that we're at least uh, up there uh, in the middle high end of the pack on that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this leads us to my – well, actually, I do want to – because you touched on it and I, I mentioned sure. it. You know, the backpack funding, the school choice, I mean, whatever you call it, whether it's a voucher system or it's a backpack situation like Corey DeAngelis talks about where the money just automatically follows the student. You don't have to have a voucher. You can just pretty much go where. I mean, this is pushing for a big this is pushing for a lot. But I think it's a trend and it's been accelerated by obviously by the pandemic and the the, the learning pods and private schools and homeschooling and everything like that. Um, I mean, where do you think we're going to go on that? Do you think that that is part of the solution? I guess we should talk about solutions. And is that part of it? Yeah, that's an interesting question because Alaska has some legal um, things that preclude a lot of this backpack funding and, and um, you know, education scholarship accounts. Those have been implemented in Arizona that will follow u- universally any child that wants to withdraw from the public school system, which is a really exciting development for Arizona students. Right. Um, that would be wonderful if we could get something like that. I'm a big fan. I think it would really be it would solve a lot of these problems if parents can move with their feet uh-huh. and not be um, not be having to pay twice for it. The public schools they're not using and the uh, private or, or whatever school choice option that they're looking for. Some um, kind so of that's, secondary that's choice, something right. I would really love. Yeah, some kind of secondary choice. I mean, in Alaska, Absolutely. we've seen the uh, we were we were a charter family in uh, the IDEA program, the Interior Distance yeah. Education from the Galena City School District. We were in their first, you know, we were in their first batch of kids, and uh, it it has been amazing. I mean, it was an amazing uh, thing, and it was great. And we saw uh, a surge after because IDEA was really one of the first ones formed for these kind of distance uh, correspondent schools, 
And we've seen a whole plethora of them come out. And now 25% of the students in the state are enrolled in some kind of correspondence or distance learning, uh, whether that's from IDEA, Raven, or even from some of the school districts creating their own, because they saw the outflow and they're like, oh, we got to do something about this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a trend that's just going to continue, don't you? I do. And I think the Correspondence School Allotment Program, where it gives you back some portion of this is to use for educational expenses, that's a really unique program that is I I haven't heard anyone else nationwide doing this. Um, and it really does spur school districts to improve when they're they're seeing their students, uh, especially in, in rural areas, be siphoned off. Um, and they they see it as a, a a real threat to their their hegemony there. So I would like if I may plug again, um, to invite all of your listeners to attend a webinar next Tuesday on the 24th. Uh, Does school choice help rural school districts that we are going to be hosting with an expert from the Heritage Foundation? I think that would be of interest to all of your listeners um, where we discuss absolutely that. Yeah, no, absolutely. If you've got a Facebook link, make sure you send it to me and I'll share it to the page so that people can do it. So Sarah, uh, we're down to the last uh, four minutes here. So I'm going to ask you to take off your analyst hat for a second and just uh, put on your other hat for advocation here and just say, how do we fix this? I mean, 47th in spending, uh, you know, middle of the pack in the regulatory, high middle of the pack in uh, transparency. How do we fix what's broken in the state of Alaska right now? Lots of different pieces to that. Um, First of all, in transparency, transparency is where all of the rest of this comes from. If you don't know how much you're spending, you can't hold uh, school districts accountable. So I'd, I'd really love to see school districts complying with Alaska's open records law, um, ensuring greater public participation in school board elections and things like that. As far as regulatory freedom, allow qualified teachers from other states to practice in Alaska. Um, you know, and just continue to reject the federalization of education, reject these federal funds with strings attached whenever possible. Um, And then we need to reduce the unnecessary bloat in non-teaching and administrative staff. These dollars aren't going to the classroom and that's why we're not seeing an improvement in outcomes. So that's what I I see is that the crux of it is we need to have transparency so we know where these dollars are going. And once we know, we can start to uh, really reallocate these to the classroom. Right. Absolutely. Um, there's been several uh, speculative solutions to some of these things, and I want to get your take on it here since we got a couple minutes. One sure. is the discussion about, you know, Alaska has 53 school districts. Now, for example, Hawaii has mm-hmm. one school district for all the islands, for all the students. And I'm not advocating right. for a single Alaska school district. Obviously, geographically, mm-hmm. there's cultural differences. There's many things. But there's been talk that if we just cut the number of school districts in half, let's just say we had 20 school districts instead of 53, that duplication of effort and what you were talking about, the administrative mm-hmm. overhead and everything else, a lot of that would be eliminated, right? I mean, that that could be a solution that, we're, that we could look at. Yeah, it's an interesting problem. And I haven't come to a conclusion because there are some experts who say that you know, consolidating school districts into bigger and bigger student populations just means it's easier to get lost in the crowd and you don't have as much voice in this education. Um, 
I could see it helping in Alaska, though. So I, I, I have to reserve judgment until I've done a little more research on it. But I do think it's an interesting proposal. Right. I mean, it's an idea, at least, you know, mm-hmm. consolidating that the, you know, consolidating all the different health care plans into a single plan, a Absolutely. statewide plan. I mean, yeah. that would be a huge, yeah. tremendous fix as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's many others. Uh, Sarah Montalbano from uh, the Alaska Policy Forum is our guest Sarah, I know you've written an article that talks about the COVID monies going to the school districts, and that's kind of an eye opener as well. Uh, I think I want to bring you back to talk about that maybe for a whole hour. And then uh, obviously the school choice, when your school choice report comes out from the Heritage uh, Report, I would like to talk about that as well. So maybe maybe we can do this again next week. I mean, education is going to be a huge deal this session, and I think we should be hammering this as much as we can. So if you're willing to come back on next week, I think I think we should do it again. Yeah, shoot is me it, an email. Is this Let's Ma- do it. Is it Montabano Mondays? Is that what we should do? Should we do another <laughs> Monday? Montabano Mondays. That'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> That'd be good. All right, well, we'll work for that. Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum, thanks so much for coming on board today. We appreciate you being here, and we appreciate all your help in understanding Thank these numbers. Thank you for having me. Uh, all right, hold the line for just a second, Sarah. Folks, we are out of time for today. Tomorrow... We got the top three with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Chris Story comes in for our little PMA boost and more. Be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. Sarah, I wanted to give you one final bite at the apple. You've been so good here about giving us a lot of good information. Is there, I mean, anything else you want to leave us with? Final thoughts? Whatever. I I hate being a slave to the clock, so I always want to give you a little bit of extra time here at the end in case there's uh, something that we missed or didn't talk about that you think we should have hit on. I'll give you the floor here for a couple minutes here in case you need something else. That's an awesome practice. I think the last thing I'd like to leave your viewers with is go participate in school board meetings. Go be an advocate for your kid because no one knows what they need better than you do. Um, that's, that's my overarching message. That is what drives me, um, in working on this education stuff is you need to be able to steer this. Um, so go participate. Yeah. It's hard. I tell you, it's hard for me to get motivated since my kids are already homeschooled. I'm like, I'm no, I don't even want to step into that mess, you know, because, oh (laughs) man, I mean, I'm paying for it with my taxes and everything, but I'm just like, oh, I just, ah, but it won't change if we don't get up there and make it change. Right. No, absolutely. And the the people who care are the people who've gone to leave the system um, and who are able to say, I wash my hands of this and I don't want to fix it. Yeah. Um, But that's that's it's really important that motivated people take this and make it a problem for them. Well, and that's that's a problem. See, that's the tipping point. We're at 25 percent of students are in correspondence. What happens when it hits Mm -hmm. 30 or 35 percent? I mean, then people wash their hands and walk away. And then the poor suckers who are still left in the system are like, do we even have enough pull to make a change? That's the problem. Um, And Mm -hmm. so you're right. We still got to stay engaged on that. Uh, Sarah? Next Monday, let's let's shoot for next Monday if you're available because I really sure. want I want to talk about this COVID funds and anything else that I can dig up from your archive while we're I'm I got some reading to do I got some reading to do. All right, well, thank you. I I'll do my best to keep giving you new content. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Sarah Montalbano, our education. She is our personal education expert here on the program uh, for the Alaska Policy Forum, senior educational analyst. Thank you for coming on board. We will. Thank uh, you so much. We'll talk to you again. 
next week then. All right. Thank you, Sarah. See you next week. Have a great Thank Monday. You. Thanks for being part of I it will. today. All right, folks. We are out of time for today. We got uh, more coming up tomorrow. We appreciate you guys coming in and joining us. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Oh, that was a good show. I love that. We'll see you. We've shed our ter- We've shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke show.